Beruchim Abayim B'Shem Hashem Berachnuchem Beis Hashem Welcome to our weekly Wednesday night cheer. Um, I'd like to give a hearty Mazel Tov begin the cheer with to my daughter and son-in-law in Geneva, Switzerland Baruch Hashem Zeicha to twin baby girls last Friday Mazel Tov from them from all the rest of their children is not to hate. Um, yeah, we finished Baruch Hashem the outside of Aaron Baruch Halevi, Baruch Halevi, Baruch Halevi, Unfortunately, it's been a busy week, and. I guess we're going to undertake two new um, dedications for the year. One is a very, very dear friend of mine who passed away last week, uh, Shmuel Yaakov ben Meisha, 63-year-old, very, very dear friend of families, um, a neighbor on the block. Uh, he had ALS. For three months, he was diagnosed. No longer with us, so we'll be dedicating for the next eleven months, probably. <coughs> Once I was in Geneva, a good friend of my daughter's son-in-law um, lost a mother. We'll dedicate to his mother as well, to Jeanette Basidraim Hakoyim. Shabbos is Parshas Vaera, not to confuse with Vaera. We said the same thing when we did the Shem Vaera, of course. Uh, ironic. Anyway, Vaera of Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov. Last week, Parsha, we discussed a little bit of Meshra bin Zemuna. Meshra bin belief in God. Now, <laughs> what does it mean? Did Meshra bin believe in God? Of course he believed in God. Who believed in God more than Meshra? Who, who had more revelations of God than Meshra? We had a issue with he ultimately runs away from Mitzrayim out of fear for his life. He goes to Midian, marries Yisrael's daughter, and now, as is out in the fields as a shepherd, he gets the. Uh, command, go speak to Pari. Go speak to Pari. Now we know as he stood there by the snare, stood there by the burning bush, the issue that he had, his fear, his trepidation, 
his language barrier. And we said many times the word on the Pasuk of conversation in this week's Parsha, Hain bin Yisrael Leshamu Elai, Eichishmeni Farai, Vanir Al Sufasayim. It doesn't flow. The translation is simple. Hain bin Yisrael Leshamu Elai, they, the Jews, did not listen to me. Eichishmeni Farai, how do you expect Parai to listen to me? This is the first Kalvachemer in the Teda. The Kalvachemer, Bishmol says there are 13 ways of darshaning, of learning Teda. One of them is a Kalvachemer. Kalvachemer would mean if, <coughs> if I have an opinion about a simple halacha, simple law and because the law involved is a simple thing and yet the halacha prohibits it how much more so something a law that is so much more stringent that it definitely needs to be prohibited that would be a kalvachema the ganef comes up with a beautiful kalvachema, the thief and he says, my pocket, my pocket, I'm allowed to put my hands in my pocket, but you're not, because you'd be a thief. So therefore, I have more power than you do, because I can put my hand in my pocket and you can't. Therefore, your pocket, which you can put your hand into, and since you're weaker than I am, so if you can put your hand in your pocket, I can definitely put my hand in your pocket. And that's why he's a Ganav. Because he uses that warped Kalvachema. But we learn the Kalvachema from here in the Pasuk and the Teda, where Meshach Rabbeinu says, B'nei Yisrael Yishamu Elai Eich Yishmeni Farai. B'nei Yisrael are not going to listen. How do you expect Parai to listen? B'nei Yisrael are involved. It's in Egeel HaBedavar. It's in Egeel to their lives. They want to leave Egypt. They want to get out of the slave servitude. And they're not listening. And they're not ready <coughs> to hear what I have to say. How is Pari going to listen? So the reason that he's saying that, the reason that he says they're not listening, is because and he else for saying, I can't talk straight. I don't talk clearly. But we know that the Medjus tells us the story of Meshe Rabbeinu, his baby Meshe, in the palace of Pari, the stargazers saw that there was something special about this child and said he was going to take over, he was going to become the king. And Pari, of course, did not appreciate that. And they said, test him. Test him. <coughs> and they put a, a bowl of shiny coals, hot coals, another bowl of jewels, the crown, the crown, the crown of the king. They said, let's see what the baby goes for. You'll see already. You'll see he's going to go for the crown. He wanted to reach to the crown. When a malach comes, an angel comes and pushes his hands away and he touches the hot coals. Immediately, human nature reaction, he put his hands in his mouth. Because he was burning, his hand was burning. And he burnt his tongue. Says the message, since then he was, he had a, a speech 
defect. So he says, I don't have a good, I don't speak well. So then it should go, the, the, the Pasuk's order is not, doesn't make sense. It should say, I don't speak well, and therefore, they're not listening, if I don't speak well. Why does he say that he doesn't speak well at the end of the Pasuk? And we've said already that the explanation is a simple, an interesting one actually, where he actually says, Hain, they, B'nai Yisrael, I went to them, and I spoke to them, and I explained to them that they're leaving Mitzrayim. Ay, they put their hands on my shoulder, and they said, Maisha, Maisha, dear Maisha, we love you. Beautiful. It's a beautiful thought. But let's be realistic. We have a house here, we have a job here. It's a hard one. It's like a slave. But it's it's keeping us busy. And it's doing what we have to do, doing things. And we Please, Maisha, don't take us out to uncertainty. You're going to take us out to the desert. There's no housing, there's no food, there's no anything. And there you're going to let us die of hunger. And... and Come on, be real, be real. Why would we want to go out there? Say, B'nai Yisrael lay Shomu'elai. The B'nai Yisrael are not ready to go out. Eich, says Meishe Rabbeinu to God. What will happen? Yishma'eni Farai. If Parai listens to me and Parai agrees that the Jews should leave. And yet else for same. I'll, I'll be stopped, my mouth will be closed, because I'll have nothing to say. Because here he's agreeing they should go out. <coughs> he says, okay, go, and they don't want to leave. So what do you want me to tell them? The fact is, Hashem says to Moshe, take the Jews, go tell Pari we're taking the Jews out. And Moshe goes and tells him that. And not only does Pare not listen to him, Pare increases the workload. Pare makes it bitter for the Jews. Moshe cries out. <laughs> and says, Hey, what are you doing? What should I do? What, what? You made it worse. I didn't make it better. You told me to go talk to him. I went to talk to him, and now it's worse for them. Was used to. Starts this week's parsha. Vo'eda, I appeared el Avram, el Yitzchok, vel Yaakov. And the God is answering him. You're complaining, Why did it get worse for them? Since I came to talk to Pare, it's gotten worse. You didn't save them. Therefore, my answer to you is, 
And Chazal explain if you're keeping score at home. See you more in Sanhedrin. Kufir Aleph, Amir Aleph. 111, side 1. Okay. Whoops, answered wrong. Let's see. No, answered wrong. Okay, I messed that one up. Uh, add people Adam add okay now let's see if that works um is it working Here he is. Shalom. Welcome back, Atlanta, Georgia. Yes, we are live from Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> um, oh, you can't see me, it looks like. What's going on now? Let me see why. Oh, my gosh. No. Aha, I see the problem. <laughs> it keeps turning itself around. Well, I don't know why the camera is turning itself around. Um, okay, somebody will help me out here. My camera... Oh, this is... I don't have time for this. I think mission has got to come back. Keeps doing it. Um, let me call you back. Let me hang this up and call it back, see what happens to it. technical situation here with this uh, Skype. Okay, it seems like it's on my camera now. Okay. Okay, all better. Right? So now you're here and you see. Good. Back to the regular schedule. <laughs> Limara tells us it's woe, it's a pity on the loss and it's not forgotten. Because Harbe Nisyenes, Nisnasu Aves, for the Hiru Achremi Desai. Many different tests the forefathers went through and never let me down. And now I tell you to go talk to Pare. I tell you to go tell them the Jews have to leave. And in your noble knowledge, in your humble knowledge, 
to you it appears the situation got worse. So you're complaining. You're complaining. Vasimitir. I don't understand this. I showed myself to Avram they never complained a word. And everything that we learn in the Teda is a lesson to how we have to live our daily life. How we have to serve God. Now, truthfully, the Teda is very careful how it speaks about anything or anyone. The Teda never, never belittles, never puts down anything or anyone. Even the impure animal is mentioned not as a tome, as impure, but one that is not pure. A nanatahira. Tehira is very careful. As we see, if you keep your score at home, the Gemara Psachim Gimel Aleph. Three, side one. Very careful how everything is mentioned. Here, in that case, it's very, very ironic. Because Vaed of Avram Yaakov seems to express a negativity about Moshe Rabbeinu. It's not praising Moshe Rabbeinu by telling him that nobody else complained ever when I did anything. Where are you all of a sudden coming off to complaining? In that case, this episode has a very, very strong lesson for every one of us. Moshe. Moshe. Our teacher, Moshe. Who merited to the revelation of the Almighty Himself. He knew everything about the others. He knew everything about our forefathers. And he knew definitely that the forefathers never questioned anything God asked. Whether it was Abraham by the altar with Isaac, whether it was Isaac and on the altar itself, whether it was Jacob when he told him to go down to Egypt. Nobody asked. He too stood at such a high level. And we can't say that he didn't have a proper emuna. That he didn't believe in God, God forbid, or in God's righteous ways. But yet Moshe stands up and screams, Lo Why did it get worse for this nation? Now, truth to be told, we can answer this in a logical fashion. And the logical fashion is when God tested Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, and things happened to them that weren't, didn't look so good, they never complained. Wonderful. It was them. For themselves, they had self-sacrifice. Sorry. Moshe 
was a shepherd, a devoted and dedicated shepherd. It hurt to see his flock hurting. It's not shot that he doubted God. Had God done something to him, he would have accepted it and said nothing about it. But here he went out because God told him to say it and spoke to Parai and caused his flock to suffer. Of course he's going to scream about that. It's not lack of a Muna. Excuse me, it's not God forbid a lacking God Himself, a belief in God Himself, or God's ways. He's hurting for them. A Nasi Bisrael, a shepherd of the Jewish nation, feels everything that goes on in his nation, in his people, with his people. I heard recently a story about Yitzchak Weinberg told actually on the gem video many years ago 76, 77 or 78 he was out he's out on Shlichus um, in British Columbia which is up near Canada and on his Shlichus he would go to different offices meeting people, and some people he connected with, and they learned together. And he developed a, a very good rapport with these two people, I don't remember their names per se. And he sat, he used to come once a week to the office and learn with the people. They had an in-house lawyer, his name was Brian Kershaw. A Jewish fellow, believe it or not, with a name like that. And Brian, unfortunately, was married to a shiksa. One day, Brian's wife got sick. And he tells me, say, he says to him, say, tell me, Rabbi, your Rebbe, does he pray for non-Jews also? Weinberg said, of course. So he told him his wife is not well. And he would like a blessing from the Rebbe. Feinberg said, fine, give me your name, give me her name and her father's name. Because if ever a non-Jew wrote to the Rebbe, the Rebbe asked for the father's name. So he gave the name and the father's name, and he mailed it to New York. Those days, no faxes, no emails, no WhatsApp. Wow! And people lived from day to day with no WhatsApp. In those days, (laughs) 
It was a long distance phone call from Brooklyn to Boston. You paid extra for it. And your home phone, it was instead of the uh, face, five cents a call, it was 16 or 13 cents, depending on where you called. If you called to Florida, it was more money. If you called to California, whoo, what did it cost? And if you called to Israel, forget about it. It cost a minute. Crazy money. So you didn't call, you sent a letter. What's a letter? A letter is a paper and a pen. A pen is what people used to carry in their pockets. Um, there used to be a wonderful custom company called Bic. <laughs> the Bic ballpoint pen was very, very popular when it came out. We used to have ink pens, actually, with cartridges. You used to have to write. Got very messy, especially when they broke in your pocket or your briefcase. And the ink cartridge spilled all over the place. Um, but then you had the big click and you had all of a sudden big came out with his pen with a cover on it ha it was an invention from the you had also those the big was the normal person bought a normal pen or bought a big pen then you had the fancier person bought a Parker pen and then there were different levels. Mont Blanc had a pen, and the Gvezich was that you can get in pens. Wellington. Was there a Wellington pen? Do you remember it? No, that's it. He's going to his drawer to get one. Okay. There were all different names of wonderful things called pens. They were writing utensils. And you took a paper, and you wrote on the paper, and you put this paper, you folded it, and you put it into something called an envelope. I mean, today, you have to understand, I'm explaining to, to a generation today, okay, we have a pen here, that's a Mont Blanc. My birthday, <laughs> oh, he's got a Mont Blanc, and I'm trying to tell him when my birthday is to see what we can get. Anyway, actually in Switzerland, my wife wanted to go into Mont Blanc to buy me a birthday pen, a birthday pen. That's like three hundred dollars. No, thank you, please. It only makes me sneeze. Anyway, um, so you're talking to a generation today where everything is email and and WhatsApp and and, and and social media. It's in a second it takes for one person to find something else from across the world. But in those days, you put it in an envelope, you seal the envelope with your tongue. And then you put a stamp on it. You had to lick the stamp, put it on, and you mailed it. You went to the mailbox, you wrote the name, the address, you had to write a return address, and you put it in a mailbox. Now, today's day and age, even if you have an envelope, it has a, a, a sticker on it, you take it off and it seals it, and you can seal it, you don't have to make it wet. And the stamp's the same thing, you peel them and you stick them on. So it became very modern for those who still do anything of the sort. But those days, that's how you paid your phone bill, your electric bill, your gas bill. You had to send the check in the mail. And that expression, no, today's day, everything's online, you do it from your phone with an app. That was the famous story with the Hungarian and the Czechoslovakian. The guy went to the zoo. 
the Hungarian and Czechoslovakian went to the zoo. And all of a sudden, they were admiring the lions. And they're admiring the lions. And the Czechoslovakian was leaning over too far, and he fell in. And the lion just ate him. So the Hungarian came running to the zookeeper. Uh, they were admiring, they were saying, this is a male lion, this is a female lion. Anyway, thank you. And he comes running to the zookeeper, and he says, quickly, quickly, the lion just ate my Czech friend. And he says, what are you talking about? He says, yeah, he just he fell into the gate, he just fell into the den. So he goes running, and he's got his trusty gun, because maybe he will save the guy. And he comes running to the lion's den, and he says, which one was it, which one was it? And he says, eh, the male, the male. And he goes, and he shoots the male, maybe to save this man's life. And he takes his knife, and he cuts him open, and there's nobody inside. The moral of the story is you never trust a Hungarian when he says the check in the mail. Anyway, it was a nasty story. Anyway, he wrote a letter to the Rebbe and he sent it to Marcus. Ten days later, a week, ten days later, he gets a phone call from the secretary, Rebbe Klein. The Rebbe wants to know her mother's name. <laughs> he says, Binyamin, he says, says it's not, she's not Jewish. The Rebbe usually asks for the father's name. So he starts screaming at him, he says, are you not? I'm telling you, the Rebbe wants the father, the mother's name. So he goes back to the Brian, and he says, Brian, he says, the Rebbe wants to know her mother's name. He says, but you told me that that's always a father's name. He says, yeah, but <laughs> I should I tell you? So the Rebbe is asking. So he says, her name is Anna. I mean, I know, and she lives in France, but I know her name is Anna. So he says, the Rebbe is not asking for nothing. Find out her name. And so, he goes home and he, tell, he calls his wife, whatever, and the wife calls France, and says, Mama, como se va? I guess she's a not spoken French now, no? I don't think she was talking Yiddish to her, she was a shiksa. She says, Mama, she says, Your name is Anna. Do you have another name? And she says, What? Do you have another name besides Anna? And she says, Why are you asking so she told her the whole story. She wasn't well. She's not well. And they wrote a letter to this rabbi in Brooklyn for asking for a blessing. And he said to ask for the mother's name. Do you have another name? It became silent on the other end. It was quiet. The mother didn't say a word. And she's waiting. And she's waiting. And she's pacing. And this phone call is costing by the minute to friends. And finally she says to her, My name is Hannah. Before the war, they hid me in a monastery. And after the war, I was too scared to become, to open, openly be a Jew. So I embraced the Catholic religion. And that's why we raised you, telling you that you were Catholic. But, my name is Hannah. I am Jewish. 
My parents were Jewish. And you're Jewish. So the Rebbe, in Brooklyn, New York, knew that this Yiddish Yemedal, married to Brian, was indeed Jewish. And therefore requested her mother's name so this could be revealed to her. Obviously, they have to have a chuppah and everything. Gitzah. A true shepherd knows and feels the pain of his flock. Does it mean that he knows and meets every one of his flock? No, he doesn't have to meet them. There are many that he'll never meet, that never come to him, but he knows everything about them. That is a true leader, a world leader. Like a Rebbe. So, Meish Rabbeinu, Meish Rabbeinu, was crying, Why are you making these children suffer anymore? Why did I, was I a cause to this? You want to make their goals a little more bitter? Go ahead, but why, why me? Why did I trigger this? Chassidus explains the j- level of Meisha Meisha Rabbeinu came from Chochmah from intellect whereas the forefathers came from Midas attributes Avram was Chesed Yitzchak was Gvura Yaakov was Teferes the attributes of kindness Strength or forcefulness, blend. When a person works out of attributes, the person is much more self subservient. The Kabbalist oil is much stronger, much higher. They accept what they're told, because this is their midah. This one accepts it through his midah of chesed, this one through seich, through Gvura, Tveres. When a person has Chochmah, oh, it's a different story. So, whereas the Ovis, the Seichel, that they came to derive things, never questioned God because they were connected to that direct. Meisha, on the other hand, stood up and asked. He had to understand. Because according to Chochmah and Seichel, of Kedusha, of course, it begs to call out, What have you done to them? Why are you making it worse? From here we have a double lesson. One, one side stands the answer the re- of the response of God that even in such a horrific time they need to undertake the 
action, the behavior of the forefathers, and not ask questions. They're standing by the precipice of, of Gula, the precipice of leaving their exodus. They needed to understand this is God's work and you don't ask questions. No matter how bad the situation looks. On the other hand, the Torah leaves us with Moshe's words. The Torah quotes him. And the Torah says, he's crying out. The Jew is in exile. He's at the end of exile. The Mashiach is on the precipice. Darkness envelops all spirituality. And this envelops the world. So much so that we confuse light and dark. We confuse good and evil. Therefore, we need to instill the two concepts of Nefesh. From one side, one needs to be very strong in belief in God. All is good. Everything that happens is good. And this darkness is bringing about the redemption. Or on the other hand, according to the Chachmelikis, person needs to cry out, why an Ad Mosai? How much longer do we have to be deprived from the godliness? And this is not a contradiction. The cry out does not contradict the Amuna, the belief. When one stands and cries out, according to Seichel, the person sees his situation as predicament, needs to call out, and this is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted, that the Seichel, should the, the intellect should grasp according to what he is being given from God, according to God's true true life, true develops developments. And therefore one needs to strengthen themselves to bring themselves up to the level of the forefathers. Not to question God's doing. Because this of Kayach Hamuna. The Jew needs to, needs to live their life in these two levels. From one side, pure Amuna Shlema, pure belief in God and no questions and doubts. And the other side, though, we need to cry out, We want Mashiach now.
we see in this parasha the beginning of the plagues Vo'eda we said once is Vov Aleph which is the numerical value of 7 Vov is 6 Aleph is 1 is 7 and therefore in this parsha we have the mention of 7 of the 10 plagues Boy, the next parsha Boy is Gematria 3 which tells us the last 3 are next week's parsha Why are these plagues coming about? Moshe Rabbeinu comes to Parai and tells him about God of the Jews wants you to let my people go. Zok Parai, who? They did not know, he didn't understand, he said, I heard about all the deities there are, but this God of yours, he's not in my register, he's not in my contacts. I even googled and didn't find him. I reached out on Facebook, Hey, Nano, I know what you're talking about. Said God, I'm going to inflict Egypt with plagues. They're going to know I'm God. goes to a better shir. Class shir. So the Parsha tells us about the plagues that are being brought upon the Egyptians. And we can ask any child, Tatala, Mamala, why do you think these plagues were brought about? And the common answer would be very, very normal to say to punish the Egyptians. They deserve to be punished for what they did. For not, for enslaving the Jews, and for not wanting to let them go. Says the Tater, no. The Makis were not intended for punishment, but rather the Yodom Mitzrayim Kenya Hashem that the Egyptians should know that I am God. Benetasius Yod Yal Mitzrayim As I spread out my hand on the Egypt. Close that door, please. The Egyptians, Pari at the helm, did not believe in God. The plagues, what to let them know how God existed, and how strong God was. Rabbi Yitzchak Abarbanel explains, Pari was in denial. <laughs> that was good. 
He was always in denial. He lived by denial. Oh man, it finally hit home in Atlanta. Okay. <laughs> you know, in Israel, they used to have payphones. And unlike the American payphones where you had a dime or a quarter or whatever it was, they had a, a coin, a special coin called the Asimon. It has a sli- like a slice in it. And you'd put your Asimon in and you dial the number and it would ring. When the person on the other end answers the phone, the Asimon would fall in. So, the expression in Hebrew when somebody gets a joke a little late, Nafal Asimon. The Asimon fell in finally. Finally came in. Anyway, Parai denied God's existence. And therefore, it was required to perform miracles way beyond nature. And the Makis itself, the plagues themselves, broke the kfira, the doubt, in all three forms. And the first three Makis showed the pure existence of God. and divine providence in the world. The last three were more miraculous and something that was definitely not possible of Piteva. However, we notice and we see when you delve into the situation here, these plagues were brought about on the Egyptians. And this is another, the Tata tells us another reason. To let the Jews know how great God was. The Pasuk says, To tell over and to repeat to your children, grandchildren, all this that happened here in Egypt, they should know that I am God. So we know, therefore, that all the plagues were for the Jews. They too should know and recognize God. God brought about, wrought punishment on the non-Jews, so the Jews should know that there is a God. Last week's year we spoke about the grandchild. This is a Anyway, looking at this, we need to explain this whole thing. Why is it not enough just to say that these makis were a punishment to the Egyptians, to break them, to destroy them, Rather, we go through this whole roundabout thing to say this is how we recognize God. Fact is, we know 
Chazal tell us the Bria, Kola Bria Kula. The world was only created Bishvil Yisrael or Bishvil Atera for these Jews and the Tera. Therefore, everything that goes on and goes down over here has the same thing. And therefore, everything that happens in the world has to have a reason and something, a connection to how it serves the God. Therefore, it's not sufficient to just destroy and punish the Egyptians. But rather, the, the plagues need to serve a purpose. A purpose that proves the greatness of God to the Jews. Therefore, when the plagues reach to the Jews as well, there's a different story. They recognize the greatness of God. And therefore, let us examine the plagues. The first of the plagues was blood. All the water turned to blood. There's a machlekes, a dispute, whether these plagues reached Goshen or what or not. Goshen was the ghetto where the Jews lived, and according to the opinions, the first three did. So let us say the dam, all the waters turned to blood. However, if the Jew picked up the cup, he drank water. Whereas if the Egyptian picked up a cup, that same pond or whatever it was, it turned to blood. And he says, Gadj Baruch Hu says to Mesha, COVID leif parai, mine l'shaleach I'm going to harden his heart to refrain from sending the Jews. What is God telling him for? He told him before, even he actually leave party. For the Yishmaelechem party. He's not going to listen to you. I'll harden his heart and he won't listen. Why is he repeating it here? But rather the concept, Mesha knew that Paris refraining from sending the Jews out, the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu hardened his heart, this was a punishment to Paris himself for going against God. And therefore, because he was decreed to go against God, he had to accept now his punishment. So in that case, why cover the leaf party? Why is heart hardened? Heart hardened. Also, to examine the order of the Marcus. 
the dam than the tzfardeya. Scientifically, one of the mainstay differences between water and blood. <laughs> Everybody always tell you blood is thicker than water, brother. Right? So, when it comes to a relative, where there's a will, there's a relative. Um, because blood is thicker than water. Water is cold by nature. The nature of water is it's cold. The nature of blood is warm. It's hot. That's the case. The Maka was on the Nilus, the god of Egypt, <coughs> the water which represents cold. What was it turned into? It was turned into blood. So the Jew hearing this and being taught this on a yearly basis is not hearing a story only. Is hearing an actual way of life. A way to conduct oneself, how to serve God. The coldness doesn't fall into place when it comes to serving God. A person cannot be cold, coarse, uncaring when it comes to serving God. When it comes to serving God, one needs to be warm. One needs to be open. One needs to be forgiving, kind. And therefore, the water, the cold water, was transformed into the warm blood. Telling even the Jews the life lesson. How one needs to serve God with warmth and with joy. The Tzvardea, the frog in turn, was amphibian. He needs the water, he needs the damp, he needs the cold. He can't exist in heat. Came the Makkah of the frog, and we know the story of the Medrash, which is horrible not to say, not to repeat, but the Pasuk says, Rashi explains it, Vayal Hatzvardeya, the frog came up from the water. But yet, thereafter, there were frogs everywhere. Frogs here, frogs there. Frogs were in their beds, frogs were on their heads, frogs were in the ovens. Frogs don't go in ovens. 
frogs can't take the heat. You can't take the heat. You get out of the kitchen. Frogs could not take heat. They dried up right away. But they were told, go everywhere in Egypt. And they did. They went everywhere, everywhere. The oven is part of everywhere they went in there. Because that's what the command was given. Teaches us the frog. Pure Kabbalah's oil. Pure acceptance of will of God. Of the command of God. And through this, we serve, this is how we take a life lesson, how to serve God with the warmth of the blood, transforming the coldness, overtaking all this, eliminating these elements, eliminating the doubts, going like a foot soldier of the frog, who had no questions, nothing asked. You told me to go here, I went here. He told me everywhere, I went everywhere. It was against my nature. It was against my essence and my existence for me to go into a heated oven. But that was part of the everywhere in Egypt and therefore there too I went. So therefore we see that the lessons that we have from each one of the Makkas was a lifelong message and a way of life, how we need to lead our life, <clears throat> how we need to exist. And the Pasha comes towards the end of the Pasha, Every generation a person needs to see himself as if he is leaving Egypt. Mitzrayim is Lashon Mitzorim, boundaries, restrictions, a Jew needs to take himself out of this. A Jew needs to take himself and rise above this and not accept the oppression of the non-Jew around him. Not accept the oppression of even his peer, his friend, who says, eh, we don't got to be so from. You don't got to daven three times a day with a million. You don't got to go to a shir every day. Um, Shabbos, eh, there's so many things we can improvise. It's a modern world today. And we have to conform to the world. Zokhtan Seda, no. No. Chas v'sholem v'chas v'sholem. We need to live the way the Teda dictates. Teda is nitzchis. Teda does not compromise. Teda does not get compromised. We need to live the way of Teda on a daily basis, on a Every breath that we take is Teda. Every breath we take is with God. And therefore, we go out of our Mitzvah and Igvulim. We go out of our boundaries and restrictions. And we boy, El Pare, we will come all together with God. And He will take us out of our Golas this very Shabbos. And we'll find ourselves in Yerushalayim, Yerakadish, Shabbat, Shalom to all.